So we're in our, in our study in Acts, and at this point in Acts, Paul's in custody under Roman rule, and the mob of religious Jews wanted to kill him. So the Roman official, who we later find out, his name is Claudius Lysias, and basically he's the, the Roman official, which is called the Tribune in the scriptures, um, and he was going to have Paul flogged, if you remember that from last week. But then when he found out Paul was a Roman citizen, he realized he couldn't do that. And basically, the reason why he was going to have him flogged is because he wanted to know from Paul why these people, why these religious Jude, Jews wanted him dead. So Paul was protected from receiving that beating because he was a Roman citizen. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 22 in verse 30, in which the tribune, uh, the Roman official Claudius, says this. Here's what happens. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he, Paul, was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So today what's going to happen is this. I'm going to give you a summary of chapters 23 and 24. I'm going to stop at key verses. Basically, Paul is being bounced around like a pinball in a pinball machine. And he's by various people that are in charge because there was an angry mob of Jewish people that wanted to kill him. So through these two chapters, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see Paul testify about the facts and the truth. And we're going to learn today, as believers, we need to testify about the facts and the truth, especially when it comes to things of the Lord. So what does the word testify actually mean? The word testify is serve as evidence or proof of something's existing or being the case. So normally when we hear this word, it's what? In the court of law, right? In many cases... It's one person's word against another person's word, which will drag cases out in court, right? Because if they can't figure out the facts, if they can't figure out the truth, they try to dig, dig, and dig. They have people testify, testify, testify to find out what the truth actually is. But when the facts and the truth are seen and there are just judges and leaders, justice is served, right? When the facts and the truth are seen, there's just judges and leaders Justice is served. So everything goes the way it's supposed to go. But sadly, today in our culture, um, we have a few problems, right? We have a few problems. The first problem is people do not respect the facts or believe the truth. People don't respect the facts or believe the truth. Now, this is a hot-button issue, but it's probably the best example and social commentary of today, and it's the gender issue. Right? It's the gender issue. The facts are XX chromosomes, which are female, XY chromosomes are male, right? Modern science says what? Is that a fact? Yeah. Is that the truth? Yeah. Well, this should be no surprise to you and I, because when God created, he created male and female. Okay? He created them. That's what the scripture says. So that is the truth, and that is what we should respect. Those are the facts, and that is what we should respect. Now, which brings us to the second problem, and that's we do not have just judges and leaders. Not across the boards, 
but there's plenty of unjust judges and unjust leaders, which means they don't rely on or stick to the facts or they don't believe the truth. They bow down to mob rule for either popularity or they might be just weak leaders. They fear, they fear being canceled because stating the facts or believing the truth actually goes against what the mob says, the culture says. So we're like, well, we're going to change that around. We're going to appease what you think. And because of that, because we lack just judges and leaders, it actually makes it difficult to have justice. It makes it difficult to have justice. So we live in a culture in which people get away with going against the facts, breaking the law, going against the truth, finding a loophole to get away with whatever they want to get away with, and then they could be justified in their sinful feelings and ignore the truth. So as for us as Christians, what do we do about stuff like this? I mean, sure, we can whine and complain, which really does us no good, when we do that, it can actually cause division between us and those who don't trust the facts or believe in the truth about Jesus in particular. Or we can, like Paul is going to do in these next two chapters, he testifies about what the facts are, and he testifies about what the truth is. Because really, in all honesty, Things are not worse now than they were back then. Do you realize it? Things are, like, people think, oh, it's, it's so much worse than it was. But listen, Paul was being beaten. He was being thrown in prison for his faith in Jesus. It's really not any worse or better now. So the first scene we're going to see is this. In Acts 23, verses 1 through 10. Like I said, I'm giving you a summary. We're stopping at certain verses. Paul addresses the chief priests and the council. So in Acts 23, verse 1, it says this. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. So the truth that Paul is telling them is, listen, you guys who all are delivering me up and want to kill me, the truth is I am following God and he was appealing to the fact that these religious leaders should take that into account. Okay, the God that we know, Paul was actually following that God. Because remember, Paul was a religious Jew before he became a believer in Christ. So basically, he was saying, technically, I'm doing what I set out to do, which was follow God. That's what they were teaching other people to do. So he was appealing. He's like, here's a fact. And here's the truth. So then he goes on to say this, or goes on to say this. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. <laughs> so basically, Paul opens his mouth, states the truth, states the fact. It's interesting because here Paul is saying before God, he's done nothing wrong. And the high priest says, smack him. Okay, so they smack him in the face. It's unjust, right? Now, have you ever been in a situation where you did nothing wrong, but you were treated unjustly? Have you ever had that happen to you? You've done nothing wrong, but you've been treated unjustly. Maybe at work. You, in fact, you did the right thing, and you were treated unjustly. Maybe at school. Maybe in your family or your friend group. You've done nothing wrong, 
but you're treated unjustly. Well, you know, if you feel that way, read the Psalms. I mean, David talks about that all the time, right? People, like, why, why do the wicked kind of get away with stuff and the righteous, all of a sudden, bad things happen to them? So how does Paul respond to this? How does Paul respond to this? Well, I'll show you. He says this. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. That's a nice way to respond, right? <laughs> Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? So Paul speaks the truth here. You are acting like a hypocrite, and God will judge those actions. That's what Paul says. Here's the truth. You're acting like a hypocrite, and God's going to judge those actions. But here's what happens. The council informs Paul that Ananias is the high priest. And at that point, Paul kind of apologizes for responding the way that he did. Paul didn't know that Ananias was the high priest. So here's what happens. And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So in this, we see Paul testifying the truth and admitting, even though the high priest was wrong, he should not disrespect him. Even though the high priest was wrong, he should not disrespect him. Now, this is a hard lesson for us today, isn't it? Even when the leaders are wrong, we should not disrespect them, okay? Christianity has created kind of a culture of disrespect to anyone, any leader that does not agree with us. That's a problem. Okay, because it's disrespect. It's actually what the scriptures tell us not to do. Paul models it here. Uh-oh, he actually quotes it. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of the people. It doesn't mean we follow them into wrong, okay? It, but it does mean we hold them accountable, okay? We don't follow them into wrong. We do hold them accountable, but we don't disrespect. We don't disrespect. We're actually supposed to pray for them. Jesus tells us, Pray for those who persecute you. Paul tells us, respect your leaders. Now, this is so important for you and I as believers because, you know, we're under things that we don't agree with. We're under maybe leaders that we don't agree with, and we might be tempted to disrespect them. Why? It's fun. It's entertaining, right? I mean, we see this, right? People mocking world leaders, right? It's fun, it's entertaining, it's kind of like what gets the clicks on the internet. So here's my suggestion for you. If you're tempted to disrespect leaders that you do not agree with, here's what you need to do. You need to just stop and pray. You need to stop and pray. Because your disrespect, your mocking is just going to hinder your testimony. It's just going to hinder your testimony. If you are a believer in Christ, you are called to respect the leaders that God has set out above us. Now, the next things that happen is Paul sees that the councils, in the council, there are Sadducees and there are Pharisees. Now, the Sadducees, they don't believe in the afterlife, or as Paul says, the resurrection of the dead. They believe the world is physical and not spiritual. Now, on the other hand, the Pharisees believe in the afterlife and the spiritual world. So Paul brings up that he was a Pharisee because before he became a Christian, he was a Pharisee. 
So now the Pharisees are like, oh, wait. He believes in the resurrection. He believes in the afterlife. He believes there's something after this. And the Sadducees are like, oh, wait, he believes that? So basically what Paul does is he states this and he gets them arguing amongst themselves. So they're arguing. They're fighting. The Roman official Claudius sees this and he realizes Paul's not safe. So he takes him back, brings him back into the barracks. While Paul is there, he actually receives comfort from the Lord. And here's the comfort from the Lord. It says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as, as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Mentally file that. You testified in Jerusalem, you're going to testify in Rome. Now the Lord basically tells Paul, Keep going. Keep testifying. Remember, testifying is serving as evidence or proof of something existing or being the case. Now, for you and I, as Christians today, this is a great reminder in our culture. Just because what we believe is not popular or not well-received doesn't mean we stop testifying about it. The gospel in particular. It doesn't mean we stop testifying about it. Think about the gospel. You hear me preach it, right? You've preached it before to people around you. You've heard other people preach it before. But the opener is not very popular, is it? We are all sinners. That's your opener? Okay, that's our opener. We are sinners. You are a sinner. Well, guess what? That's not popular to tell people you do wrong. You do sinful things. But then it goes on to speak the truth about Jesus. Jesus is the Savior who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Three days later, rose from the grave to prove that he was God. And all who believe will be saved, will have eternal life. That's the good news. But you know what? You can't become a Christian. You can't be saved unless you're willing to admit, I'm a sinner. That's our opener. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. So for us in our culture, we have to remember, we testify about the facts. We are all sinners. We testify about the truth. Jesus is the savior of sinful people. So now we move to the next scene. And there's actually a plot to kill Paul. Forty religious Jews take a vow not to eat until they kill Paul. Think about this for a second. Forty religious Jews take a vow not to eat until they kill Paul. You ever go to like maybe like a nice area with like a downtown area and you don't know where you want to eat? It's you and your wife or you and your husband, whatever. And you're walking or your family members and you're looking at menus, right? Oh, I don't want to eat here. I don't want to eat here, right? You do that for 20 minutes. All of a sudden you're hungry and tensions are getting high. What do we call that? Hangry, right? You know, just let's go eat something, right? Could you imagine having 40 religious Jews wanting to kill you? And they're like, we're not eating till you're dead. That's going to be an angry mob, okay? An angry mob. So here's what they do. They go to the chief priests and elders, tell them that they want another trial. They tell Claudius, bring him back to the council for trial. And... Basically, what they do is they make a plan to ambush him. 
So when he's on his way, we're going to get him and we're going to kill him. Paul's nephew actually finds out about the plan. He goes and tells Paul. Paul tells one of the guards to bring his nephew to the tribune, to Claudius, to tell him what he knows. So the tribune hears him out, sends him away, and says, don't let anybody know you came and told me this. So now the fate of Paul seems to be in the hands of this man, Claudius. So if Claudius lets him go to trial, these guys are going to ambush him and kill him. So then we find out that in the next scene, what Claudius does. Paul is sent to Felix, the governor. Acts 23, 23 through 35. Claudius decides, you know what? I'm going to send him to Felix. I'm going to send him to higher up. I'm going to send him to the governor. It's a 50-mile trip. Uh, Claudius guards Paul on this 50-mile trip with 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to accompany Paul. I mean, think about this entourage, right? The Apostle Paul is in danger. Claudius says, oh, you know what? I'm giving him an entourage, a Roman entourage, to, to, to protect him from these 40 religious Jews that want to kill him. He also, Claudius, wrote Felix a letter to decide Paul's case. And here's how it goes. Claudius Lysias to His Excellency, the Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it is disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So now with this, Felix is, you know, asked, can you give him a trial? We'll send the people from the council down and give him a trial. You try this case. So in some sense, Claudius is like, okay, let me get this guy out of here. Okay, give him to the higher up. Give him to the next guy. Like I said, the pinball. So with this, Felix agreed to give Paul a trial. When his accusers arrived, he, he, he was due a trial because he was a Roman citizen. His accusers arrive. Then we move into chapter 24, where we'll see Paul before Felix at Caesarea. So Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders. They brought a spokesman. His name was Tertullius. He made the accusation that Paul profaned the temple, that he was leading people in a riot, and was a ringleader of a new movement. The movement? Christianity. So Felix, at this point, allows Paul to testify. Now, interesting, remember back in chapter 23, verse 11, which I shared a few moments ago, when the Lord appeared to Paul and said, you testified in Jerusalem, now you're going to testify in Rome. Immediate prophecy, okay? And guess what? Not only did Paul hear this, the Lord said it's going to happen, but Paul actually is obedient to it. He actually goes, he actually opens his mouth, and he testifies. So Paul is living this out right now, and here's what happens. Knowing that for many years, this is Paul, 
knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. So this is what he says to Felix. A nice opener, right? You've been in charge. I'm gladly going to make my defense to you, okay? You can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogue or the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So Paul here is stating the facts and telling the truth about what he did, what he believes about the Lord. Notice, he reminds Felix that these religious Jews, they believe that there is life after death. They believe this stuff. This is like, I am following God. These guys are almost there, but not there because they don't trust in Jesus. But they believe in the afterlife. So now what happens is we move to the next scene, and Felix is interested, and Paul is put in Roman custody. So as we close out these two chapters, we find Felix actually knows a little bit about the way, they call it, Christianity, and doesn't want to make a decision to turn Paul over yet. So basically, he just puts the brakes on it. I'm not making a decision. So he says... When Claudius Lysias, the tribune, comes down, he'll decide the case. So now guess what? Remember Claudius was like, bring him over there? Felix is like, yo, you're coming over here too, okay? We're going to make this decision together. In the meantime, Paul is allowed to have visitors, so he's kind of like in a minimum security uh, facility, and he actually is going to be held there for two years, Felix realizes this guy's not a threat, so I'm not going to give him the maximum security. I'm going to give him minimum security. He's held there for two years. But something interesting happens. Felix shows some interest in what Paul has to say. So let's look. It says, After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. So now, Paul, being in custody, was able to testify about Jesus in Rome to the governor. But think about this for a second. Remember our opener, for the gospel, we're all sinners. Look what Paul does. Felix comes. Now, Felix, the guy that pretty much holds the keys to his captivity, what does Paul do? He reasons about righteousness, about self-control, about coming judgment. Do you know how when you tell somebody they're a sinner, it's kind of like defensive, right? You're a sinner. So maybe sometimes when you preach the gospel, you're like, 
Jesus loves us, right? You start with that. Think about Paul here. Wouldn't this be a good time to break out the Jesus loves us part first, right? This guy is like holding me captive. Well, Felix, Jesus loves you. And I know you have the key to the door that I'm locked behind. So maybe we can make a deal here. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He testifies about the truth. He brings Felix the facts. He says, listen, this is how it goes, Felix. You have to admit, I need a savior. I am a sinner. I need a savior. Something obviously that Paul was saying had an impact. Something struck a chord in Felix for him to start thinking. Something struck a chord that he was so alarmed that he said, go away. I'm not, I'm not ready to listen to this. Have you ever encountered anybody like that? You start talking about the Lord? Get out of here. I'm not ready for this. So really, the final lesson that we learn from this, these two chapters is really threefold. And the first is this. No matter where you are, God has you there for a reason. You know, you might be thinking, what am I doing here in this school, at this job, in this family? <laughs> you might be thinking to yourself, like, what is going on? Why am I here? Well, I'll tell you this. God has you there for a reason. I think the overarching reason is for you to testify about him. There's other details you have to kind of figure out. I don't know those things. That's between you and the Lord. But God has you there for a reason. If you are in the place that you're in the place, so you go to work tomorrow, you go to school tomorrow, wherever it is, and you're just thinking, why am I here? God has you there for a reason. And the first and foremost primary reason is for you to be a light, for you to testify about him, share the facts, share the truth. The second is, use the opportunity and be ready to testify about what he's done in your life. Use the opportunity. You know what? We could waste days on end. And sad to say, we all have to confess, we've wasted plenty of days, haven't we? Use our opportunities. The conversations are there. God has placed you in that place. You have, you have like relationships with people that would never darken the door of a church. You know, they, they might never feel the need or the desire to go to a church service and hear a gospel presentation. So guess what? God plopped you right in their life. And guess what? You're there to use that opportunity to testify about him. But you know what? The third is there will be people in our lives that will listen and not believe. Felix didn't believe at this point. Don't let that discourage you. I know that could be so discouraging, right? Oh, you know, I, I shared the, the Lord with this person, and, you know, maybe they didn't mock you. Maybe they didn't make fun of you. But they're just like, eh. Don't let that discourage you. Just because they don't believe doesn't make it untrue, okay? Just because, like, their belief doesn't validate what the Lord says. Remember? testifying about what facts and truth. I mean, we live in a culture now, right, where people have a hard time deciphering about facts and truth. And the only thing different from our culture, from their culture and our culture is this. Back then, you didn't know what the crazy people thought because they stayed home, okay? Now, they go on social media. 
And you know what all the crazy people think. You know what all the untruths, all the lack of facts, right? I mean, right now, you can do this. You can go on YouTube or something like that and type in flat earth, right? And you're going to find a whole group of people that believe the earth is flat, okay? And some of you are like, it's not? But that YouTube video I watched said it was flat. Well, here's the truth. It's actually round, okay? So, but here's the thing. Just because someone doesn't believe something or does believe something, it doesn't validate it. The facts are written in God's holy word. The truth is written in God's holy word. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. So we don't get discouraged. We show people the truth about who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful for the facts. We're thankful for the truth. And we know, Lord, that when we believe in you, that truth will set us free of our sin. And we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.